Hello and welcome. You are listening to For the Love of Dog, a podcast for all things related to dogs, just in case the title wasn't clear enough. I'm Kerry Jordan, a professional dog photographer, whippet enthusiast and serial dog cuddler. Morning all. So I'm sat here on a sunny Sunday afternoon. It's the bank holiday weekend. And I thought, as the hounds are all still sleeping, of course, I would give you um, a podcast episode on some of the questions that were asked on my Facebook page when I was requesting some suggestions for podcast um, episodes. Some of them are quite uh, short and sharp, so I thought I'd bundled them all together. So I hope you find it interesting. I got some really interesting questions. Mm -hmm. So we will begin with Michelle Burgess, who wanted to know about finding your own photographic style. I thought this was a really interesting one because I think I kind of did it organically. But what I did do was stop comparing myself to other photographers and particularly dog photographers. About maybe three or four years ago, I realised that I was comparing myself to somebody else's journey who was probably further on in the journey than me and I was it was really getting me down because I felt like I wasn't progressing even though now I look back and I realize I was and also I don't know how they got to their journey they could have been quicker they could have been you know longer they but they could have had a tougher time they could have had an easier time so I just stopped doing it I still look at other dog photographers work and I admire it But what I don't do is compare. Uh, So I find my inspiration coming from things like landscapes and nature rather than other uh, dog photographers work. So finding your own photographic style, I think you just need to get out there and shoot. And when you get the images back, don't look at other dog photographers and go, well, why isn't mine like that? Say, is this something that I enjoy looking at? Do other people enjoy looking at it? Do my friends and family enjoy it? And that's where you kind of grow from. So have a look at your own images and and go from there, I think, Michelle. So another question was from Claire Goyer about travelling with your dog. Now, Claire is a good friend and she also owns the local pet shop. And I'm hoping to go to Spain to do some photography for her. So I think this is a kind of question that was a little bit like, come on, when are you, when are you coming co- across? So I've actually done a blog post on travelling with five dogs to France, which I'll post in the show notes. So you can have a look at the kind of things that we had to plan for. Although this podcast was recorded before the dreaded Brexit, so I'm not entirely sure how things are going to change. So Sarah Banks has asked something about Whippet behaviour, an interview with a behavioralist perhaps, and I definitely want to do something about that. I've done a few posts recently about very specific Whippet play, and the response was absolutely insane. It's one of those things that if you're not used to whippet behaviour, then it can look quite aggressive. I think I've seen Ridgebacks do something similar, actually, but whippets with other whippets will do what I call tooth fencing and bitey face, and they will try and nip each other's necks. There can be some horrendous sounds coming from them. And I've definitely been given a wide berth by other dog owners um, looking on, thinking that there's some kind of weird um, 
behavior going on and they just want to keep their dogs away but actually whippet uh, whip, other whippets tend to understand that kind of play but it can be a little bit confusing for other dogs if they have no idea what's going on uh, the other kind of whippet behavior is that they are most definitely opportunist uh, opportunistic counter surfers you can turn your back for a fraction of a second and that's it you the bread roll that was on the side has gone <laughs> So Lou Young has asked my experience of feeding a raw diet. I am very much of the ebb where I don't really mind what a dog is fed as long as the dog is happy and healthy and it's getting all the nutrients it needs. So I'm not uh, one of those people who will say you have to go on raw, you have to go on raw, mainly because I know of a fair few friends who um, have had dogs with stomach problems or intestinal problems or who have had viruses so they can't really eat raw and there are alternatives like butternut box which I had to feed Jasper when he had his stroke at the start of the year and the rehabilitation centre couldn't take raw and that was a really really good alternative but there's the kind of kibble that's coming out at the moment which is grain free etc is just amazing my main reason for starting to feed raw a fair few years ago was because I saw a pellet of kibble um, that had landed in one of the dog bowl water bowls and it puffed up to about three or four sizes at times the original size. And it really freaked me out a little bit about how that is going on in my dog's stomach. So we decided to feed raw, which was probably not as cost effective as kibble, but it just gave me a little bit more peace of mind. As I said, though, there's so many different brands out there now with the biscuits that are baked um, with cold pressed so that it actually just disintegrates. When I went on holiday to France, we used Guru um, because they gave us the example actually of the, uh, the kibble in water and it just literally disintegrated into a soup rather than held its form and, and actually um, swole, it didn't swell in size at all. So we have been feeding raw for probably about five years and the dogs are thriving on it so that's the main thing for me uh it's it's a bit difficult because we didn't have the you know we don't really have freezer space but our amazing local pet shop started stocking it after i requested it and now it's a, a kind of one of those things that the people are getting on board with it so they've now got two freezers instead of one so i've got a really good variety which is fantastic and yes, it's a bit of a pain if you forget to take it out of the freezer. But in those circumstances, what we do is we just go to the butchers and get some mince and some chicken wings and feed them that. Um, it's not got the nutritional value of a complete raw food, but it's okay for maybe one, one day. So I've actually been really happy with feeding raw. Um, I used to feed nutriment and now I feed benefit uh, because... Jasper is on the senior um, raw food, so he has to have a separate amount. Whereas with nutriment before, it, we could quite happily split the chubs between five. So now I've used benefit just purely because the tubs are one kilogram um, and it goes between four. But also it's really easy to recycle their tubs. Uh, whereas I think nutriment at the moment are on black tubs, which I can't recycle. So Carmen Nevin um, has asked, why do you love hounds so much and prefer them to other types? 
Okay. Uh, so I pretty much love all dogs and I will cross the road and accost many, many dogs. Uh, I've been lost in pubs before when there's a cute little spaniel sat in a corner uh, and my friends are looking for me and they usually find me where the dogs are. However, hounds are definitely my heart dogs because I know I've known them for so long. So when we got hounds, we did our research uh, before we got Scout and we were looking for a dog that was a good apartment dog, low maintenance, low shedding and didn't need a huge amount of exercise. And we were really surprised to find that Whippets fitted that bill. I think a lot of people have the misconception that sighthounds need a lot of exercise Whereas, in fact, somebody once told me, if you can't choose between a cat and a dog, get a whippet because they will sleep all day in the house and then they will be, you know, the best dogs outdoors. I think for me, it's the their very gentle nature. They are excited to see you, but then they will go back to their beds and, you know, just chill out. They have been brilliant with all the kids that they've met. They're, they, they're just solid dogs. And they have this look about them when they want to cuddle that just melts your heart. And a lot of people, again, think that they aren't cuddly dogs. If you, yeah, they are. <laughs> but also the fact that regardless of what many people have said about not having dogs on furnishings, they will be up there on the sofa with you, probably trying to push you off. Uh, I, just, I just love them. They are awesome little dogs and they have properly changed my life for the better. They've taught me patience, they get me out there walking, um, they're brilliant in the respect that they will sleep whether they've had an hour's walk or a four hours walk. They're, they're just a very very special breed. So Marianne Lister has asked the question what someone can expect if they book a photographer to take pictures of their dogs, what preparation, um, the photographer and the subject owners need to get it made to, to do to make it great. Uh, so I really appreciate that question, Marianne. And basically, I talk my clients through a shoot um, so that they know what to expect. But generally, it's a very relaxed process. I give my clients a call uh, before the shoot just to find out a bit about their dog, their dog's personality whether they're confident or not confident, whether they can go off lead, whether they can't go off lead. And so we try and tailor the shoot specifically for that dog. Um, the only preparation really that the clients need to do is I do ask them to try and do a bit of homework with their dog so that they can do a sit and wait. So that all I need is like a fraction of a second of a dog sitting or waiting and I can get the shot. But it's much easier if they're able to do that off lead then on lead so that I don't have to take the leads out afterwards. Um, the only other preparation is if you've got a fancy pants collar, bring it along. Uh, so yeah, it's a really, really relaxed process. My preparation, as I said, goes with phoning the client beforehand, but also actually making sure that they know what they possibly want at the end of a shoot. So I ask them to walk around their house, see if there's any blank spaces or good walls that might be good for artworks, just so that they can start the thought process of what they might want at the end of a shoot. Um, so I hope that answers your question, Marianne. Debbie Kemble has asked, 
um, if we could do an episode on dog beauty. So clipping their nails, your top tips, bathing, favourite shampoos, do you use anything when their paws, uh, their pads crack, cleaning teeth, etc. So I did actually respond to this on Facebook and I said that I'll actually do an interview with the dog and I on this. But just to answer a few of your questions quickly, clipping their nails... I've had a bit of a mixed bag with this. Scout is very patient and he will quite happily stand there and just let me clip them all. When we first got Shadow, um, (laughs) he's a proper little wriggle monster. Um, I'm not sure how his previous owners actually managed to clip his nails, whether he went to a groomer's or not, but um, I have never known such a tiny dog to be able to wriggle so much So what I had to do, because he's so food motivated, is over the course of several days, I would clip one nail and then treat him and then leave the rest. The next day, I would clip another nail and treat him. So now it's got to the point where I can actually clip all his nails in one go with a treat after each one. But it was a pretty long process. (laughs) And bathing wise, generally they're pretty clean dogs. I don't actually need to wash them very often but with regards to favorite shampoos and what happens when their paw pads cracked this is where the dog and I came in Uh, she has the most amazing products and I've been sold on them from the first moment I came across them she actually makes this is Kerry from the dog and I she makes dog soaps and they're 100% natural they use um, organic coconut oil with maybe a few beautiful essential oils thrown in And the great thing is they lather amazingly well and you can use them for spot cleaning. So if your hound is a fox poo roller, you can just sort of rub into that part of their necks uh, so that you can get that part and um, just hose them down maybe. Um, But cleaning teeth, again, I've never really had to do this because the dogs that I have um, have raw bones or... um, well raw meaty bones from the butchers basically so they've been to the vets and they've the only one that's ever had to have their teeth cleaned is jasper and i think it's probably because he's a little bit older so it's either raw meaty bones or there's billy and margot's venison bones which are the longest lasting chews that i've ever had for my dogs and the they it cleans the teeth naturally i know quite a few people who advocate brushing their dog's teeth which is awesome I've just never needed to do it so I hope that answers your question Debbie. So Tracy Dick has asked if I can talk all about my hounds. Tracy's been a Facebook follower for a while now and um, she is on my photography course so I did have to laugh at this question. I could talk about my dogs all day Um, I'm not sure how interesting it would be though but just to give you a little backstory. I got Scout, uh, well, he will be 10 this year. And if you see any recent photos, then you will know that he does not look or act that way. We were looking for a dog because I was working part time. Um, Actually, no, I'd just been made redundant. So we thought it was the right time to get a dog. We were living in a one bedroomed apartment in Surbiton. So we wanted a good apartment dog, as I said previously, and the whippets came up we managed to find the most amazing breeder who when i read now about these the, the backstreet breeders and stuff we we got off so well because we had no clue that any of this happened 
we were completely in the dark about all the bad things that can happen if you choose the wrong breeder. So we were really lucky when we found Scout's breeder. She is a show breeder of Whippets and Terriers. And uh, we went to see the litter. And actually, um, although I won't tell this Scout to Scout to his face, we chose as our first a little blue Whippet. But she did say that she was going to choose the one that she wanted to keep. And regardless, we would love the dog that we got. And somebody once sent to me, and I thought it was such a beautiful sentiment, you get the dog that you need. And Scout is definitely that. So Scout was going to actually be called Whiskey, but we kept the name Scout and it's just perfect for him. He honestly made me cry so much in the first few months. Nobody tells you when you get a puppy just how difficult it is. I can remember thinking, why isn't he doing the things that the books say? Why isn't he responding how they say? The biting um, stage was particularly difficult, but he caught on so well at puppy training class. He was such a good boy. I remember him playing with this giant blue staffy called Dermot, rolling around on the floor. He was just a, an awesome little dog and he does pick things up so quickly and he turned into the most perfect adult dog. So we had Scout for about a year when we decided to start fostering. And this is where I started to get the information about all these terrible things that could happen if you went to the wrong places. Um, and it was a real education for me. And the very, very first dog that I picked up to foster was, we were told, a Whippet um, Labrador cross. I'd only just started driving, but I drove a fair few miles to pick up this foster dog who was so highly strung um, and would respond to people picking up keys. He was nipping at people's ankles as they were leaving. They, it, As soon as the lead came out, he went absolutely ballistic. And I wondered what the hell I was getting myself in for. That dog turned out to be Jasper. When we introduced Jasper to Scout, he honestly sounded like he was going to kill him. The noises that was coming from him scared the bejesus out of us. And then bizarrely, as soon as they were introduced properly, was fine. We couldn't understand it. We didn't get why he was doing this. He would bark at people standing still. He would bark at other dogs. If he was on lead, he just sounded like this ferocious hellhound. We couldn't, we just couldn't understand it. It took us a while to figure out that actually... What we think had happened is that because he was barking at other dogs, he had no socialisation. He didn't know how to say hello and it was just excitement and nerves. So we started to let him know that it was OK and we were really calm when he was greeting other dogs. Um, and now if he's unsure, he will look back at us and if we go, it's OK, it's OK, then he will greet them fine. He still goes ballistic when people pick up keys or put on shoes, but the anxiety levels are much less. So when we got Jasper, we decided that we needed more space. Uh, so we moved out to uh, the a little village in Sussex. And from there, we managed to accumulate three more whippets. So the first one was actually, say hello to Shadow. <laughs> Uh, the first one was, um, I don't know if you could hear that actually, so that would have been a bit random. Uh, Shadow is just uh, howling at me. The first one was 
Did you just leap over the fence? Oh, you little monkey. Uh, the first one was Boo, who actually used to go on walks with Scout and Jasper with our dog walker. And she was being uh, rehomed by her owner uh, because she kept running off for several hours. And we fell in love with her. She is such a quirky personality, um, very high and mighty around other people and such a cuddle monster at home. Uh, we thought she was a little bit sad, though, because she was uh, with another dog at the time. And Scout wasn't really a... He doesn't really play with other dogs. He's very much a human human person. <laughs> a human dog. So it just seemed kind of perfect when, just before we were about to drop off our dogs at what was the Whippet Hotel, uh, the owner, Caroline, contacted us saying that somebody had contacted them about rehoming another little blue whippet called Shadow. Literally saw the photo and fell in love with this boy. Uh, so he came to visit uh, just after we got back off holiday. And his face and cheekiness just won me over. He still makes me laugh constantly. Um, he's a quirky personality and an absolute love. So that's how we got to four. Then <laughs> I used to do family photography. In fact, I still do family photography. I just don't advertise it quite as much. But uh, one of my client's sons met us on a walk and absolutely fell in love with Scout. So they decided to get a Whippet puppy and they adored him so much. Uh, unfortunately, circumstances meant that the husband was... Um, going away to Singapore so the whole family was going to Singapore for work and because the property was rental etc they a couldn't take Bertie with them and b probably not the best place for a dog so they were looking to rehome him they were devastated and I couldn't think of a I, I couldn't have Bertie anywhere else I don't think he'd been coming to me once a week uh, for sort of doggy daycare while uh, his mum worked and he was already part of the family it was just going to be like an extended holiday so that's how I ended up with five hounds and it's chaos but I wouldn't have it any other way so I hope you're happy with that answer Tracy I, I hope I didn't bore everybody too much talking about my hounds the next question is from Claire White about marketing to get your right clients. Claire's got a lovely pet and lifestyle um, photography business over in, I think, Essex way. And we've been chatting a little bit. Uh, she's just setting up with the, the dog side of things. I think my ideal clients came to me. They actually come to me, really, rather than me marketing to them. And it all really started because I started uh, the Facebook page, Whippet Snippets, um, which is now sort of Fur and Fables, was more like a community. It wasn't really me selling because basically I'm really terrible at selling. I'm trying to get better because I do need to run a business. <laughs> but it is more like a community. It's a really lovely group of people who all have one common thing, which is their love of dogs, hence the po uh, podcast name. And... Uh, what I did was just started conversations. So it was asking people about their whippets or if I had a problem or a weird thing with mine, like Shadow waking up at two o'clock in the morning and rolling around on his back and giving little ruse. 
then I asked my community and because I think maybe people feel like they know me and it's not just a shot in the dark, people going and Google searching, they don't really know the person, then my ideal clients kind of come to me because I talk about my love of the great outdoors and things that are important to me, they tend to be the kind of people that come to me. And even when it's people buying gift vouchers for other people, those people tend to be very much people very similar to me in the fact that they love getting outside, they love spending time with their dogs, you know, they go on holiday with their dogs, that kind of thing. And it's all because the conversation has been there from the start. So it is. it has been pretty organic. I hope that helps you a little bit, Claire. I think this is the last question and it's from Paula Topping and she wanted to know about getting your dog to pose. If you've seen any of my uh, social media, you will know that my hounds seem to be pretty good at it. <laughs> and generally, it I've, I've done a podcast episode on five top tips um, on how to take better photographs of your dog with your camera phone, which I'll link to in the show notes. But the main thing is the weight command. It sounds really simple, but to be able to get a good photo of my dogs, I need them to be in a spot and I need to walk away from them. So in the top tips, I did actually go through the weight command and how to, um, to how I managed to do it. And it was literally just building it up gradually uh, so that I could walk away from them and making sure that it's enjoyable for them. So my guys will now, if I say up, they know to go up onto something. So whether it be a tree stump or a, a sofa, that kind of thing. But they know that it's going to mean a reward. So they really enjoy it and they're quite enthusiastic about it to the point where even if I only want one dog, they're all up there. <laughs> so that is basically how I get my dogs to pose. And I also, for clients' dogs, use um, like a duck caller to get their attention or a really good one if they're very food motivated is like crinkle a crisp packet or something that usually gets their attention i hope that answers your question paula um i think that is all i'm just scrolling through there's a couple of um, ones about dog fun days out but i do have a newsletter which that i include that in um oh and i'm also going to be uh, trying to do more events myself so if you're listening to this um, before the end of May, I will be at Dogstable with Chris Packham. Hopefully I'll meet him because I uh, absolutely adore him. Might go a little bit funny though. And there's a little bit about rescues and its advantages for all dogs. I think I'll go into that into another podcast because I am a, an advocate of rescues, but I'm also a, a really think that a very very good breeder is important as well so i hope you enjoyed those questions i think i've answered everything and i will leave you to your day and hopefully see you back on the next podcast bye